Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. We start today's show with a continuation of our Odyssey series, Conversations. Today's discussion is about the state of the entertainment industry. From Odyssey, this is Odyssey Conversations. Today, we take you to the Odyssey Sound Space in Los Angeles as KNX news anchors Charles Feldman and Mike Simpson discuss the state of the entertainment industry and how streaming is affecting the creative community and content they produce. Hollywood's always reflected the changing world around it. Culture, sensibilities, technology. But we are clearly at an inflection point coming off a very historic half-year strike with streaming services rising and old business models falling. So what does the uh, future of the entertainment industry actually look like? And what does this mean for what we all will see on the screen? Well, that's what we're talking about. We brought together a group of people who are making, distributing, and covering the content. Ron Perlman, veteran actor, writer, producer, might know him as Hellboy, or one of the dozens of characters he's portrayed over the years. Ron, also the founder and director of Wing and a Prayer Studio. Cynthia Littleton, co-editor-in-chief of Variety, which has been covering the news of Hollywood for nearly 120 years. Karina Manishil, president of Mad Solar Productions, company on the leading edge of the film business, creative force behind movies like X and Pearl. We have Patrick Gomez, editor-in-chief, general manager of Entertainment Weekly, one of the most widely read sources in the country on the industry, and Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, national executive director, chief negotiator for SAG-AFTRA, union representing 160,000 actors, broadcast journalists, recording artists, and performers. Now, at the end of the show, we are going to take some questions from our studio audience, but we're going to start by, this is not a scientific poll by any means, but we're going to take a quick sample of what you folks think the state of the entertainment industry is now. So what I want to do is I'm going to ask you a question and just shout it out. If you think that the entertainment industry is doing just fine, shout out a good, really heartfelt yes. Wow, we're in trouble. <laughs> and those of you who think that it's not doing so fine, a no? No. Ron Perlman. Like they say, showbiz is your life. What do you think? I'm with you guys. The, which one? The nose. I'm, I'm in a state of constant mourning over the state of the entertainment industry because of how unrecognizable it is to the power and the glory and the effect that it's had on 
my thinking about the humanities. But Ron, do you think that there's any hope for it? I mean, it sounds you have a very pessimistic view on it. But no, I, I, I'm incredibly optimistic. You are. I just hate the people who are running the show right now. Um, <laughs> the art form of cinema and television, I guess, is an offshoot of it, was invented by family-run businesses, studios. And um, the competition and the lust for profits were every bit as, as real as they are now, but their version of competing with each other was to make better stuff than the next guy did and um, make sure that it got to the audience as good as it possibly could. So there was a pride of ownership that comes with a mom-and-pop sort of a business that is completely um, removed when it's corporate-run. And corporations started taking over the movie business, the studios, and then the, the TV studios. When I guess I'm not a historian, but around the 50s, the studios started to falter. Gulf Western comes in, Sony comes in, uh, Seagram's comes in, you know, and... Our entertainment, which was an offshoot of the desire to blow people's minds about being part of a collective consciousness, which is what uh, culture is meant to do, turned into the desire to um, compete for stock prices. What was always an uneasy relationship between management and labor, the gap right now is the people who are in charge of when, I, when the work finally comes down to those of us who do it, have zero in common with us, zero. And um, as long as that is, just, I, 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 I sound pessimistic, but those of us who do it love it more than ever. And, and we will prevail when we kill the model that's currently in place. Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, sag after a where are we now post-strike, given you know the thoughts of the audience and the thoughts of, of Ron here. Yeah, no, I mean, hearing what Ron said and, and also with, with what the audience says, I think last year reflects that, right? Like what happened last year reflected the fact that there was a feeling among certainly the members of SAG-AFTRA, exemplified by Ron and many others who not only you know supported the idea of a strike, but actually got out there, were on picket lines, were at rallies, were doing things, not just saying things, but doing things to try and help change the business to help move it in the right direction, to move it in a direction that is less, you know, perhaps about the audience of one, more about the collective consciousness that Ron was talking about, more about making sure that artists have control and that creativity remains in the hands of humans. I mean, this was the kind of thing that people were fighting for. And so there is, I think, a reason to be optimistic. Cynthia uh, Littleton, who's the co-editor-in-chief of Variety. Variety, as we mentioned, uh, has been covering showbiz for 100, what, 120 years. You 1905. But, right. <laughs> that is, in fact, the year I started. But. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Variety has seen, obviously, lots of changes in Hollywood. Where would you say the state of the business is now? I will say that just uh, forgive me for plugging the home team, but Variety, one of the most enlightening things that I did during the strike was to go back and look in our pages and look at 1960, the last time that the Writers Guild of America and SAG after were on strike together. And then I went back to 1980 and looked at the last time and the coverage, and it was so eye-opening, the patterns, the parallels, what was different, what was not. And that is that benefit of hindsight really is helpful. I think in any conversation about a golden age or is it, you know, is it over? Is it ending? It's I think to understand what happened last year, you can't 
you have to understand the context of how not only has television changed, viewers can tell that television has changed the rise of Netflix and Hulu and other streaming services, the ability for people to, what we call, 10 years ago we called it time shifting, the ability for people to watch any show. You no longer have to show up Thursday at nine to watch your favorite show. You can watch it at any time. That had ripple effects. It changed consumer behavior to a degree that forced Hollywood to, Hollywood would have much preferred the old system. They made more money, they had more control, but technology really did put so much in the hands of viewers. Behind the scenes, for actors like Ron, for writers, there was so much change in the way television and movies were produced. The, the nature of the way people worked changed so much, so quickly, it's, it's actually almost an embarrassment that it took a strike to bring all of that, it took a historic dual strike to bring all of that in perspective. We could see those changes in the moment, but the cumulative effect of industry, I mean, transition doesn't begin to describe what has gone on in Hollywood in this past decade and is gonna continue into the, you know, certainly into this, well into this decade. There is a, there is a, a shaking out of of corporate interests, and, I, and I'm sorry to say, but I think that in Hollywood, I think you're only going to see more consolidation in the coming years, and that is going to be challenging for for individuals and unions. But I think to appreciate what we've been through, you have to understand, really have to understand just how much things have changed behind the scenes and what pressure it put on working Hollywood. And so going forward, you know. We're coming out of an age of 600 scripted television series, you know, one for almost two for every day of the week. That was, although it was a bonanza of work, that was a bubble that was unsustainable. And, it, and when it eventually burst, it really burst. So there is so much to unpack. But I just want to say that also, I mean, at a, at a moment when you can have things like a movie like Barbie, a television show that is distinctive as a show like Atlanta, you have a time when the, the what's possible in content is awe-inspiring. It's just a matter of getting to how people distribute, how they make money. That is the big challenge. That is, is the, the actors and writers made incredible strides, but the larger picture of of how that monetization happens, and compared to the old world where they make, you know, where they just made sacks of money, now they're, you know, now they're not making quite as much money. That is something that is gonna is we're still in that messy middle of figuring Selena out. At Mad Solar Productions, seeing you nodding along to our to our panels, they've been talking and, and some smiles. And I think some are like sad smiles at some of the stuff that's going on. But give me that sliding scale of the difficulty for getting the projects off the ground, the stories that you want to tell in this era that we're in. It's, it's a great question. I will say, listening to Ron, the idea of content made to entertain and a collective consciousness coming together to enjoy something sounds so romantic, which is the thing that leans into sad. The fact that you almost can't even imagine what would it be like to watch something and collectively all of us have seen it at the same time and want to talk about it together. The amount of programming is so vast, which is exciting in the sense that there's something for everybody. But I do feel like it's a very fragmenting experience when you consider how art is 
ideally meant to bring us together to give us something to share. None of us are wrong in what we're pursuing, but because we're not doing it together, there's something that we're all sort of missing tangibly that has traditionally come from this form of entertainment. I would say that in terms of the way that I look at the business and what's happened. In addition to the strikes last year, I found that one of the most significant moments was that Netflix subscriber drop because what happened was this reflective turn that if, oh, the bubble is bursting, this this can't continue the way that it's going. And every other streamer, where they whether they were starting to see their stock prices drop or not, started to react with, oops, let's go broad and safe. Let's go as four quadrant, easy and expensive. Let's not take those risks because if it's happening to Netflix, it can happen to us too. And we don't want to be next on that totem pole. In the same breath, the financiers traditionally who do more interesting or innovative stuff, and then we'll lay it off to a buyer reacted the same way. Hang on a sec. Money's harder to come by. Cost plus model is not paying us what it used to be. What are we going to do except for things that we really believe are going to sell in a broad marketplace to a broad uh, it, it buyer interest. So everything I think has dropped. Well, I guess pendulum has swung to this drop in content production that I don't think is particularly interesting, but I do believe the pendulum always swings back and forth. I think that things are constantly in flux and constantly changing, even over the course of my time, even from that moment of House of Cards and True Detective at the same time where, oh, I can binge TV and Matthew McConaughey is nominated for an Oscar and an Emmy in the same year, so you can pitch any piece of talent for television. There was such a significant shift there, and I do believe that things will continue to ebb back and forth. But my my, my outlook, at least in, in my company, which is very culture facing and that's we're you know, partnered with Kid Cuddies and a constant dialogue with the kids. It's a very lives in that frame of mind. My reaction has been, well, if what are the kids paying attention to? They're gaming, they're reading comic books, they're watching animated programs, they're listening to music, they they're YouTube buying more fashion, than anything else, YouTube right? more than anything else. I mean, I feel like on the artist spectrum, not to say that all artists need to diversify because it's not an organic thing to ask, but at least for us, the reaction has been, you know, play in different horizontals because you're not then so beholden to the whims of the pendulum in our business. Patrick Gomez, uh, last but not least, editor-in-chief and general manager of Entertainment Weekly. So <clears throat> we heard Karina talking about the pendulum swinging back and forth. Where, in your view, is that pendulum now? I mean, I think it's like going around in a circle like a clock moving too fast. It, it, you know, as it was mentioned, we're in a state of flux right now. And uh, to go back to a little bit of what Ron was saying and and also what we were talking about the history and when you look at the past strikes, the important thing to also is to take a step back and say, if, if you're not in the entertainment industry, if you work in uh, if you have a small business, you're going through a similar thing. You're watching all these consolidations and these conglomerates come in and take over uh, and and consolidate businesses. And you're missing the artistry and artisanship that went into making a piece of furniture from scratch. And it's all you know manufactured overseas. We're seeing this throughout uh, our industries. It's not just entertainment. And so it's it's if you're not in the entertainment industry and you're looking for parallels, they're there, unfortunately, everywhere right now. And then not only to look back at former strikes, but I would look at the music industry and they went through a whole reckoning of how do we grapple with technology coming in and changing our industry so rapidly. But they did they did take a minute and they figured out a way to at least be sustainable with the streaming platforms that are more legit and that you're actually able to be paid for your content. I think the other thing that was mentioned was YouTube and social media. And 
Gen Z and younger are looking at tick. They're going to TikTok to type in, how do I cut bangs? How do I uh, cook an omelet? They're not going to Google or, or even YouTube like, like um, some of us that are not that young. They're going to TikTok for those things. So the platforms are changing. And what's really cool about that is that there's a democratization of uh, access to audience. All right, that's all uh, we have time for. A big thank you to our panelists for taking time out of a very busy award season schedule to be here for a very important conversation. For the full show and more stories like this one, download the free Odyssey app and search KNX News or go to knxnews.com slash town hall. From Odyssey, this is Odyssey Conversations. Today, we take you to the Odyssey Sound Space in Los Angeles as KNX news anchors Charles Feldman and Mike Simpson discuss the state of the entertainment industry and how streaming is affecting the creative community and content they produce. We have Ron Perlman, veteran actor, writer, producer, Hellboy, who was in uh, Sons of Anarchy, Wing in a Prayer Studio. He's the founder and director. Cynthia Littleton, co-editor-in-chief at co -editor -in -chief Variety. Karina Manischel, Mad Solar Productions. They did X, they did Pearl. Patrick Gomez, Entertainment Weekly, editor-in-chief, and Duncan Crabtree Ireland with SAG-AFTRA. Cynthia, let's talk about what the audience is going to see, both in the movies and on television, on their phones, wherever they're, they're, they're watching it. Uh, to, to Ron Perlman's point, uh, all of this reverse engineering uh, doesn't sound like it's going to lead to very interesting, whether theatrical releases or programming on TV. Do you have any sort of hope that that is incorrect, that maybe Ron's wrong about that? I, th I think I want to just be, I would be a little contrarian to Ron, um, <laughs> who gave a did, did a great Patty Chayefsky performance here just a minute ago. Um, sorry, we don't have a window for you to hang out of, but um, I, I do think that, I, I think you look around and we can all, again, I, I keep fixating, but I think there is no algorithm that would tell you to make to, to give Greta Gerwig the tools to make the Barbie movie that she made. That had to be a gut check. That had to be, we believe in this person, we believe in their vision, and we, we've heard the stories of how that movie came, you know, that there were efforts to tuck it in, and she said, no, this is the movie, and the end result is the end result. There's no algorithm that says that people will flock to a three-hour movie about the father of the, of the atomic bomb, as they did with Oppenheimer, a fantastic movie that came out this past year um, you know the folks at the the programmers at the at the best places at HBO at FX they I the, these are still people that at the end of the day read a script assess talent and say I believe in this person I'm going to back this person HBO's fantastic miniseries Chernobyl is a perfect example nobody on no algorithm would say that people would be moved by this piece of work but but they were I think it still exists but I think part of this this ramp up of the peak TV of getting to 600 series of throwing literally throwing content at the wall and see what sticks I think that that was not a golden age it was an it was a bubble it was an unsustainable bubble and especially i think as we you know got through the pandemic and toward the the strike really was a bookend the strike and also the event that karina referenced which was if i have my math right april of 20 2022 when netflix for the first time had to acknowledge to wall street that they lost subscribers that was when the bubble burst because until that time uh 
HBO Max and Paramount Plus and everybody was thinking the sky is the limit in terms of subscribers. We might get a billion subscribers, therefore we can spend as much as we can as much as we can muster on content when Netflix, which was the rocket that proved the model for everybody, when Netflix almost two years ago said, actually had to acknowledge that we're losing subscribers, that meant that the irrational exuberance that was driving every studio to spend, you know, 10x what they had been spending on content because the prize was going to be those 1 billion subscribers, when the ceiling on Netflix's global growth seemed to to be at about 250 at the point two years ago when they were losing subscribers. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, they announced that they're gaining subscribers at a good clip. So it's up and down. But the, the important inflection points here are really important to remember. But back to the cusp of the, the crux of your question, I think that there is still a ton of creativity. There is so much. When talking to writers and actors on the on the picket lines, there is so much creativity and and so much desire out there. But it is at a moment when just getting through that pipeline, even at a time of 600 shows, became harder than ever, and people were sort of banging their heads against the wall. Why? So I think the drop in production can only help. We've talked a lot about TV, uh, and I wanted, since you mentioned Barbie and Oppenheimer, I wanted to talk about movies here. And, and Karina, maybe Patrick, you want to chime in on this too. I mean, despite our, besides the big tentpole, Barbenheimer phenomena, are we getting butts in seats these days, or are the theaters and the, the studios still having trouble with that? And a lot, I think, changed during the pandemic. I talked to, talked to some people this morning. They were saying, you know, I just don't really have the drive anymore. I just wait. I wait till it comes on TV anyways. I can wait a few months. What's waiting a few months? Really quickly, just to address, I, I think one of the things that's interesting about uh, what was just being said about the streaming wars and, and trying to compete about how much content, that competition's always existed. You know, CBS and ABC and NBC always wanted to win whatever hour of television they currently had on. The answer to that was having the best content and that was how you won and that's how you got the better advertisers. What's difficult now is the business model is subscription-based where it is it is less about that because it's not a one-to-one -one competition of, oh, you've got only murders on the building at the same time that we've got our prestige comedy. It's not that anymore. It's it's you could watch those two completely different completely different times, and so that makes the competition a lot harder. Uh, but I, I'm, apologies, I totally didn't answer your question. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a really valuable question. When I look at Barbie and Oppenheimer, what we can't forget is that Oppenheimer is one of the most celebrated filmmakers of our time. Barbie is, despite how incredible the take is, is still IP. So I do think that the traditional film system is still relying on what are the kind of broadest common denominators that are going to attract people that make them want to show up. And I think what we're, you know, what you'd hope to see is, again, the romantic that Ron mentioned, where it's really about entertaining. It's really about capturing imagination. It's really about changing perspectives so that the studios feel more willing to invest in the next crop of artists and filmmakers and trust their visions, which are separate from something that's preexisted to give them opportunity. And I, I would love to see that moment. I think, too, it's it's interesting as I, I consider technology at large and we, you know, we touched on TikTok, we touched on the democratization of art, which I think is a key component as, as to what's happening here. If I'm a young artist, if I'm one of those geniuses, am I going to go through the traditional system 
and wait and hope that one of those studios is going to shift their perspective and give me a shot or best case, I get some piece of IP that they trust me with, but then I'm not really living into my authentic version. Or are you writing artist. and doing another superhero movie? <laughs> I mean, we've had 50 of them. No, no, but, but that feeling. So how can I make the next Marvel film feel different than what, what has existed before? It's not, I, I'm not necessarily putting my like, uh, you know, uniqueness onto that, onto that conversation. But then if it, if it is a democracy and if I can go to TikTok and I can go to these other mediums and express myself musically, artistically, exactly as I am and monetize that potentially better and faster, is that a better use of my time? And I think part of the danger in what, you know, the system is, is invoking is less incentive for the young crop of artists to actually follow through with this side of the industry. The nature of the way as television in particular is produced has changed so much. And one thing that happened in a world of 600 shows, the idea of it used to be in television, the goal was to have something, the goal was law and order, something that would go 20 years, ER, 15 years, Grey's Anatomy, 20 and counting. And that really changed in the era of streaming because streamers had different, have different calculations, a show a show just has a shorter shelf life in streaming. And that has been one of the big things. Not only do shows have shorter season, you know, sh shorter number of seasons, but they produce fewer episodes. If you think of, you know, Law and Order, ER, they did 22 episodes a year. Now it's more like eight or 10 episodes. And for actors and writers, that's eight or 10 paychecks versus 22 paychecks. That's not hard math to do. That's one, that's just one of, a hundred things that we could sit and talk about in terms of the way things have changed. Hold it right there for just a second. And again, we're listening to uh, Cynthia Littleton, who is the editor in chief of Variety. And I'm sorry, did you want to continue? Well, just that, I mean, it, it's again, in so many ways that viewers can see, maybe it not, might not be obviously evident, but that the nature of, you know, Ron was on a show called Sons of Anarchy. It was a show with a massive following. It was, you know, what television executives love more than anything is a renewable resource, a show that you can bank on is going to have a season two and a three and a four and hopefully get to double digits. And again, that whole calculation changed in the streaming era. You see shows, you know, the, the third and final season. I mean, that, you know, that used to be, that used to be called failure. And now that is, again, because the feeling is that there's only so many episodes that a person is going to sample. Yeah, is that, is that a saving money phenomenon on the part of who's making those shows? Or is this, as we had kind of hit on before, you know, sometimes we just go with a safe bet. So you do something for a little while and then you you, you trash it. Or is this an attention span thing that, you know, to, to talk about everyone on TikTok and YouTube, maybe we don't want friends every Thursday night anymore for, for seven years. Well, it's a little bit of both. But as Duncan well knows, the salaries go up after season four and season five and season six. So yeah, everything it's, used to it's, disappear from Netflix after three all seasons, of a right? piece. Yeah. But it's not that we don't want it. This is Duncan speaking. It's not that we don't want it because look at look at Suits. Suits on Netflix was the big breakout hit, if you want to call it that, of last year. And that's certainly not a three season show with eight episodes per season. And you know, I know a lot of people who are binge watching Suits who missed it on the first go round. So maybe that'll create a sense that maybe there is a room for more variety there. Patrick Owen is editor in chief of Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, I think what's interesting though is one, I think that there's uh, there's binging of those things, and that's fantastic. That that shows can have a second life and and find a new audience. But I was fortunate 
fortunate enough to get to go to the premiere of the Friends reunion uh, on what is now Max. And they did it. It was during COVID. So they did it at uh, a big outdoor venue in L.A. And because it was finding a new audience, uh, a younger audience, people that weren't even maybe alive when the show was originally on, they they invited a lot of influencers and, and people that are famous on social media um, to help do promotion of it. And, and having them in the audience, they were doing a lot of trivia games and such in like the hour and a half before it started. And they were blasting them on the big screen. And what was great is that they were there and that the show found found this audience. What was not great is to realize the difference in binge watching a show. And you might love 10 seasons of Friends. But because they're not having that cultural experience that Karina was talking about earlier of like watching something together, they were quizzing them on like iconic lines that any of us that watched that show in real time and every Friday went uh, to either school or work and talked about it pivot, with our pivot, yeah, exactly right, pivot, pivot pivot. But they were asking them like, "You're my." I think most of us would know the end of that is Lobster. Because to them, it was just one more episode that they watched out of 10 they watched that day. Is there a lot of dipping in and out these days of all these streamers? Because it used to be you could get them and and save some money because you didn't want the cable bill, right? But now it's kind of like I feel like people keep Netflix and then they get the other ones for a couple months and then they... I'll get off of there. But really that happened is, I mean, if you just go back to HBO and Showtime, like HBO and Showtime, they see those same influxes. Like when Game of Thrones was on, they'd see an uptick in subscribers and then it would dip back down. So, and they clearly were able to make that sustainable. I think where it's difficult is the HBO kind of would take four or five big bets in a year and then have other programming that were smaller bets. Uh, And as long as they had something all year round, that was enough to keep people around, uh, enough to make them profitable in a way that on streaming, they're trying to do that times 60 or sometimes 600. And that's when it gets unsustainable. Although, you know, it's interesting. This is Duncan again. The data, uh, there's an industry analytics company called Antenna that released recently some data about the churn rate uh, on streamers. And it is noticeably different. It has gone up. At, you know, If you cross-reference it with the sort of decline in original content, there has been increased churn in most of the streamers. And it seems to me that what is happening right now is they are testing out You know, what is the level of original content versus acquired content and library content that they need to have in order to keep their ideal you know, level of, of subscribers. And so I think we haven't seen the result yet. We are in the middle of the experiment. Well, I think the other thing that you're starting to see is that... Oh, that's Karina. Hi. <laughs> Sports is beating out content as far as a communal experience right now. And you're seeing the reflection from the streamers. I mean, you've got Amazon picking up Thursday Night Football, and now they're going to get a playoff game next year. You've got Paramount getting Champions League or Peacock getting Premier League or even Nickelodeon doing a simulcast of the Super Bowl, which was maybe one of the greatest pieces of content that's happened SpongeBob in recent was years. The Fantastic. It's pro-union. It's fantastic. But that also, I mean, it's interesting. We we talk about how much uh, attention Taylor Swift has gotten for showing up in the Chiefs game and how that shifted the NFL and what that value means. But also you're seeing SpongeBob and Taylor Swift getting kids and their parents to watch football together. So I do think the traditional content, you're getting it major on the sports side. All right. That's all uh, we have time for. A big thank you to our panelists for taking time out of a very busy awards season schedule to be here for a very important conversation. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. For the full show and more stories like this one, download the free Odyssey app and search KNX News or go to knxnews.com slash townhall. And joining us now is Charlene Edwards of Project Unity. They're currently celebrating 10 years of dialogue and community building through their, oh, their award-winning program, Together We, and it's a series, a series of programs. Uh, Charlene, how you doing? I'm great, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. First of all, 10 years flies by so fast. Congratulations, and I, I know this is going to be a special year. Is there anything wonderful we need to let everybody know about, or ha are you still planning some things? So uh, this is Project Unity's 10-year anniversary. Thank you. Um, as we celebrate, we're celebrating all year long. Mm -hmm. But as we celebrate, uh, we're not planning to do, you know, a bunch of extra things. Uh, what we're planning to do is really hone in on our core programs mm -hmm. um, and the impact those programs have in the community. Uh, Pastor Butler, Richie Butler, of uh, Pastor, Senior Pastor of St. Luke Community United Church, mm -hmm. um, is founder of Project Unity. And his goal for our 10-year anniversary is, is threefold. One, we want to mute the noise. Um, as he says, there's a lot of noise out there with this being an election year and all the things that are going on. We want to help mute the noise through our programs. And, such I, and allow people to focus and not hear all these Absolutely. different distractions and stuff that has nothing to do with anything else. I know exactly what Absolutely. you mean. Absolutely. So he wants to focus on muting the noise. He wants to, secondly, double our impact. So with all of our programs this year, we're really hoping to double our impact on those programs. So where we had, you know, 73 Together We Dines last year, wow. we're hoping to, you know, double that or at least double the numbers of people instead of the 3,500 or so folks who participated in the dine. 
we're hoping to double that this year. And so thirdly, um, he is hoping that through our programs, um, we're able to tell the story of unity. And we tell the story of unity through dialogue, through interaction, through building and bridging the divides that we work on every single day with our programs, Chris. And it, so, yes, yeah, 10 basic, years, yes, 10 years. Yes, 10 years flies. And again, it's all about creating some relationships. In other words, instead of talking at each other, we talk with each other and we get to know yes. each other a little bit better. And that's how communities are built. Absolutely. And not just talking, Chris, but listening. Yes, that's the most important part. Absolutely. For those who have participated in our Together We Dine program, you know our model is about listening. Because when we listen to each other, we're able to digest each other's stories, mm -hmm. right? We're able to adjust our lenses just a little bit better so that we can become more sympathetic and empathetic to each other, which helps us move the needle forward um, on creating unity. We're talking with Charlene Edwards. She is the Director of Programs and Events with Project Unity and we're talking about the award-winning Together We series and the Together We Dine in particular. Let's explain for those who aren't familiar with it how Together We Dine was started and what the program is all about because I think it's brilliant. And I also like the fact that through the pandemic, there's now Together We Dines that are virtual. Absolutely, absolutely. So our Together We Dine program was started in 2017. Um, after uh, uh, the death of our officers in 2016 who were ambushed downtown Dallas. In the parades, okay? yeah. After in the, the parade, parades. absolutely. Yeah. The officers were protecting peaceful protesters, just doing their job. Um, and, um, uh, um, you know, what we found were that people um, were upset. Um, people needed healing. Um, people needed a place to, a safe place to talk and just have conversations and, and share their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in 2017, Project Unity launched the Year of Unity, the Year of Unity, which is a series of programs, um, you know, that we started our Together We series, right? Mm -hmm. Together we pray, together we heal, um, you know, together we uh, dine. And so what we thought would be, um, you know, four or five dying conversations with our faith-based uh, community as our host uh, partners and locations, Chris has now turned into what you just said. Um, we're doing these dines virtually, uh, locally, nationally, internationally now. Yeah. So we are now hosting these conversations in countries such as India, India. Um, Europe, Middle East, uh, Asia, thanks to our partners. And so we have grown, the movement has grown from just, you know, what we thought were going to be just a few conversations to have to now we are hosting these conversations um, internationally. And, and it's great because our model is such that conversations can be um, modified, mm -hmm. right? To fit different uh, things, different topics, whether it's DNI whether it's law enforcement and community building, whether it's the healthcare industry, this with students, because we host dines with students. We are actually leaving today on a uh, 229 flight to Louisville, Kentucky, um, with our partner, the Dallas Bar Association, to host a dine with a high school in Louisville. So we are having these conversations with students um, to help them learn how to have conversations and to listen, but to support and advocate for each other. Because if we can help our kids with these types of conversations to help them manage their 
feelings and emotions, we could actually help save lives um, and avoid another school incident because someone felt like they were an outsider and didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. you know, so this is important work. It's, it's important very work. important work. And it's also timely because ironically and sadly, this Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade uh, yes. had a situation that at the end of that parade where there was a shooting. And there's mm -hmm. so much remorse and so much sadness in Kansas City and around the country because, oh, my goodness, it has happened again. But yeah. you, you just feel remorseful because someone died and, and kids mm -hmm. were shot. And it, it was just a sad situation, something like that happens. And I remember you mentioned that this started, the, to, to the, the Project Unity and the series started, the Together We, after the parade situation in Dallas, because that was the same remorse nationwide yes. and it was centered here. So I think a lot of people can relate to, I need to hear some things or I need to, yeah. I need to share my stories and, and maybe we can do better on, on so many different levels, but it's, uh -huh. sometimes it's a reaction to something that's so emotional, so sad that makes people want to reach across various divides and find out, guess yes. what? Those aren't really divides. It's just that people are different, and I didn't know that about you. And guess what? We actually do have some things in common. That's right. That's right. We have more in common uh, than not. And so this series is is so big, and again, it's award winning. You mentioned some of the partners. You mentioned that it's not just local and it's not just statewide. It's national and international. It has grown so well and well connected. You've got amazing partners involved now. Can you name some of the partners? Because people who are listening for the first time are going, wow, this sounds pretty cool, or this sounds kind of interesting. Maybe, you know, it could be better. Well, it is mm -hmm. actually, if you never heard about it, it's better than you think. And awesome. some of your partners actually vouch for what you're doing. Could you name some of the partners? Because I think it's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. So we have some amazing partners who um, are have been with us for, for a long time and some who are new. Um, Dallas Mavericks, I mm -hmm. will say, first and foremost, um, is a partner of ours um, um, on this journey. Um, Texas Instruments, um, Thomson Reuters, um, NTT Data, uh, Toyota. Um, we are onboarding the city of Anna. So we are working with municipalities mm -hmm. um, in this space um, as well. We, we just have a host of uh, organizations, uh, probably over 70 or so organizations, school districts, Cedar Hill Collegiate ISD, mm -hmm. Jesuit uh, Preparatory School. Uh, we're uh, beginning a partnership with Frisco ISD. Um, and so just uh, these, these organizations see the value in this work. Um, they they have participated and understand the impact that it can have on one's personal journey, um, and whether again it's addressing DNI or if it's helping um, you know to address other concerns or needs or um, uh, whatever the theme is uh, through our Together We Dine program, we're able to help, and that's what we want to do. We want to help foster relationships um, and build uh, build bridges. And it's not just together we dine. It's a lot of together we's, including mm -hmm. together we ball. I only bring that up because I think this is a nice, nice place where we can bring in how, you know, Project Unity is trying to allow, um, how do I put this, uh, first responders and police officers mm -hmm. to better connect with their communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Together We Ball was actually our very first Together We program after the death of Michael Brown. Mm -hmm. um in uh 2014 i believe in st louis um, Patrick, yeah. 
Yep. Pastor Butler hosted a uh, community forum at St. Paul. He was then senior pastor at St. Paul United Methodist Church um, with a then DA and sheriff, um, a police chief, and, and had a community forum um, about community policing and trying to figure out what could the community do? What could Dallas do to help ensure we take care of Dallas and build uh, those uh, divides with law enforcement and community. And so, um, you know, we we partnered uh, with um, with PALS and the Dallas Police Department, um, police, Black Police Association um, to launch Together We Ball. And for and those so, who don't know what PALS is, that's Police Athletic League with, our, with the kids. Yeah, absolutely, the Police Athletic League. So we hosted our first uh, Together We Ball, PC Cobb Fieldhouse in South Dallas, partnering with DISD as well. Uh, then um, Dr. Lou Blackburn was... Um, you know, uh, uh, DISD board trustee, and he also helped to uh, spearhead uh, the activities that we were having. And so that program has grown immensely mm -hmm. in that, you know, our our uh, partner, um, um, big partner now is uh, the Dallas Mavericks, mm -hmm. um, who helps us, um, you know, continue the uh, effort to bring community and police together. And so we've moved from PC Cop Fieldhouse uh, we took a break during the pandemic because, you know, uh, couldn't get together. Right. And then we came back. Uh, Paul Quinn was a strong and steadfast partner, Mr. Maurice West. And, mm -hmm. and of course, President Sorrell, who they, they've played for years. Um, and then we've moved from Paul Quinn to now SMU, Southern Methodist University, working with, uh, with their team there. And so that's where we're now hosting Together We Ball. And so we want to connect Dallas with SMU, with the Highland Park area to build in, uh, that, that bridge. Um, you know, a lot of people think, you know, Highland Park SMU is kind of like, oh, can't, you know, kind of untouchable, but it is very touchable. And we want yes, to bring our communities of color out um, on the campus to enjoy that game, but most importantly, um, to enjoy building bridges between law enforcement, our first responders, as you said, um, and, 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 and community and, and make that connection outside of a time of crisis, Chris, exactly. so that when there is a crisis, right, you yeah. feel like you can trust right. those coming to, to your rescue. Right. And, and what I love about it is you have, uh, police officers, pastors, like you said, law enforcement, uh, faith-based organizations, but you also have kids and you also have the different, um, the schools, involved mm -hmm. and they're all mixed together. It's not one yeah. versus the other. It's all Absolutely. playing together on the various teams. And it's, it's, it's through sports that you sometimes find out, wow, we got a lot of things in common. And again, you're able to build that trust. And I think, absolutely. I think part of the follow-up you guys have done again, project unity is absolutely amazing is that you've created some programs where kids can learn how to, um, how when they're pulled over by the police or by Absolutely. by law officers, how to engage in an act or an act. And these are programs so that they they each side can understand each other. In other words, it's not Absolutely. just for the kids. It's also for for law enforcement. So you can not have these incidents where someone gets pulled over and something bad happens. Absolutely. And you're speaking of our Together We Learn program. Yes. Our Together We Learn program was also um, a result of, of the Michael Brown incident um, as well. But it, it, we started that in 2016. 
And together we learn um, when we initially started the program uh, in partnership with the Black Police Association, um, we were just targeting um, Dallas schools, mm -hmm. right? And so getting those kids out on a Saturday to get this programming, um, to get this learning. Um, and, and that year in 2017, uh, Senator West, uh, he visited our program. Um, and went back to Austin um, and authored Senate Bill 30. So we now have a bill, a Texas law, um, that was born out of our program um, to teach Fantastic. students of driving age how to act and react to law enforcement and, and traffic stops. Mm -hmm. And so schools across Texas are um, supposed to give uh, this training or similar training Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Which there, there is a training uh, module provided by TEA, uh, but they are supposed to get this uh, this learning before they graduate. And so we're so super excited that, you know, where we started with Dal Dallas ISD, um, we're now hosting uh, this program with um, other schools such as Jesuit. Um, we were growing with Dallas ISD, but we're also in, in uh, Cedar Hill for the Cedar Hill Collegiate Schools. Mm -hmm. uh, we're partnering now with Garland. And Grand Prairie ISDs are now new partners, and so we're we're working to roll the program out to to each of those high schools. Um, Carter um, High School, I have to give a shout out to them um, as well, and and Lancaster High School uh, is a new partner as well. So so this program is life saving, right? If we can yes. help decrease or eliminate those uh, misunderstandings, those let's call mm -hmm. it misunderstandings. Yes. At, misunderstandings, at yes, because. Like you said, sometimes law enforcement have no idea what to expect when they mm -hmm. pull over a car. The people inside the car, they have no idea what to expect when right. the uh, police officer approaches their vehicle. So, mm -hmm. again, it's all about gathering more information, learning how to work together, and therefore a situation won't escalate. And therefore That's you right. can assume somebody's the bad guy, whether it's the right. law enforcement or whether it's the people in the car. That's right. That's I, right. I, I, I love the fact, again, that Project Unity is a difference maker and all the different Together We programs are just so fundamentally logical, but they're so impactful. Let's skip to uh, Together We Sing because I thought that was another community gathering situation that a lot of people learn from. Can you talk about Absolutely. the Together We Sing series? Absolutely. Um, so together we sing. One thing that um, Pastor Butler uh, recognizes is there are certain things that bring bring us together. Right. Mm -hmm. we, we talked about sports. So we have together we ball. We talk about food um, together. We dine when when the pandemic was going on. It was, you know, us wanting to rally to help, you know, for our health. Right. And so we you know, did together. We vaccinate where we gave uh, vaccine tests. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'm sorry, we gave a COVID test and then we were given COVID vaccines. Together we sing focuses on music, music as a uniter uh, mm -hmm. that brings us together. Um, and so together we sing is one of our um, uh, programs, again, where we bring people together over music. We we merge gospel and classical um, together. At the Mort Myerson Center in Dallas. It's absolutely amazing. Yes, absolutely. And shout out to our um, steadfast partner, um, the DSO, um, who has been a partner with us, uh, you know, for, for, for our duration of hosting our Together We Sing program. And so what we do is we take gospel music, fit it to classical, to an orchestra. 
And then we build a 200 unity choir of varying uh, faiths. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an interfaith choir um, who have to practice months to learn the music. The music has to be converted to um, to, to an orchestra version. I mean, it's so much that goes into it. And last year we had Erica Campbell mm -hmm. um, uh, um, uh, join us for that event. And it, we were celebrating 50 years of hip hop. We had Spinderella. Um, on the stage, yes. um, so she was part of the event, and so this year we 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 are we haven't announced the the artist yet, but um, you know we will be announcing this year's artist soon, and tickets will be going on sale. But it is a night, Chris, and you're part of that as mm -hmm. well. You dress up, yes, I uh, do. You know, in your fine nines, <laughs> and you're part of the uh, the night as well. And you've witnessed what a spectacular evening it is to bring people of all faiths, um, all races together, just over music. And when I say people, everybody is tapping their feet. Everybody, no matter the yes. what race or ethnicity, are on their feet giving praise. Even the conductor <laughs> on Even the, the stage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so it, it is a night to remember. So this year, save the date, we are moving to a Sunday. Sunday, June 23rd at wow. the Morton Myerson Center. Um, more information um, will be available on projectunity.net for both Together We Sing and Together We Ball. Um, and so we want to encourage the community to, to, to step out, step out on unity. You know, we always say step out on faith, step out on unity mm -hmm. um, and, and try to uh, join one of these programs or these events um, to help you on your personal journey, whatever that is. Pastor Butler says, whether you're one or you're 10, we want to meet you where you are and help you along your way. You know, I, this, this program, again, I've been watching it grow from the inception and I'm just so proud of the work that you all do. And I'm really especially proud of you. I've seen I've seen you grow. And, and first of all, at one point, this was like part-time work. It was like this is what you were doing on the side while you were working in your corporate job. And That's then right. all of a sudden it became your life, your career. Can you talk about your personal journey? Because I think that's a story that needs to be told as well. Because I am so amazed at the fact that you're like doing what you love to do. And it's a full-time position now. Absolutely. I'm a believer of doing what you love to do. Um, because if you can, my, my philosophy is if you can wake up and think about it, if you wake up and my husband will, you know, probably tap my hand, but if, if you love something so much and you can give to it to where if you could just do it for free, you do it anyway. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's a passion that you have for that thing. And so, um, so my journey and I'll be brief, but I actually have an engineering degree, Chris, mm -hmm. <laughs> my engineering degree from SMU. Yeah. Um, and, you know, started out, you know, as a, on the systems engineer track, but I found my way and my passion, uh, on the community side, um, while making my journey and then got into events and, um, long story short, um, I was working corporate, um, before uh, before the pandemic hit, um, and of course, pandemic changed everything for everybody in so many ways. But I am glad that it changed something in my life, and that it allowed me to shift gears mm -hmm. and work for Project Unity full time. Um, so now I'm able to to do this, um, you know, wake up and and go to bed, just trying to think about how can I help somebody else? How through our programs can I help change lives? Um, each and every day. And so it's it's been um, it's it's been a journey, um, but a very rewarding journey. And as I look back, which I think we all should always take time to look back at our progression, man, it, it's been great. And and I don't regret once one one step 
um, one one job, one anything, because it was always moving me um, to to where I am right now. This is and that's just for Project Unity. This is just an amazing story. And again, for for those who are maybe just now joining us, Project Unity does so many amazing things. And like I said, you are the events and programs director of it now. And I remember the first time we ever worked on anything, first time I think I met you really good. And I'm going I'm to I'm refresh your memory because you're going to probably start grinning and laughing when I tell you this story. I think what we were doing, uh, you had several busloads of kids from community centers who wanted to see a screening, a private screening of Uncle Drew. Uncle star, Drew. Starring <laughs> Kyrie Irving, who now is a Dallas Maverick. And yeah. It's just the craziest story. We were there. I think we had a uh, we had a, a studio movie grill. Yes. I think they were participating. They were partners with it that day, and, and they allowed just to have a theater. And you had all of these different kids there. And yes. you know, I helped you do it and, and emceed it and, and, and opened it up. And the next thing you know, it's like, here's Project Unity, bigger than ever. You know, together we ball, bigger than ever. And Kyrie Irving is a Dallas Maverick. And we yes. saw him on the movie screen at Uncle Drew. That's just the, is that not small world crazy? That is small world crazy. And yes, I do have this big grin on my face. I was like, oh my gosh. You forgot <laughs> about that out of, that all the, I, out of all I, the I, things, right? I probably still have that file folder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew then you were a great organizer. I was like, I was like, Charlene knows how to get things done. She is so organized because, I mean, to put that thing together and you were working your job. Because I was remember I was calling you at your corporate job. You said, I got to call you on my lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was it was so rewarding. And then again, the different projects that happened along the way. Again, the together we ball and I watched that thing grow and you asked me to emcee that. Yeah. And it's been a pleasure. And that thing has been absolutely amazing. And you've always had your fingerprints on all the different programs, all the different events. And now you mentioned it is global. Can you talk about how it became global? Because in all seriousness, it's like, wow, it's so logical. It seemed like it, it, it would happen, but I never thought about it that way. Was it like one step at a time? You had different partners who said, let us get in on the conference call or let us get on in on the uh, on the Zoom I mean, because cause yeah. I think it's just so logical. And again, all it is is learning about different people and finding out you have more in common than you have that are differences. Absolutely. It's global uh, only because of our partners who are global, mm -hmm. right? And so our partners who have global reach um, are, are all in with, okay. with our Project Unity programs. And so even they, even they realize that conversations can go beyond the U.S., mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, as they're doing these, you uh, you know, the U.S.-based version of Together We Die, they say, hey, we have employees in India. Why right. can't we have these conversations in India and tailor it to um, the, the topics and issues that are going on in that country? Hey, we have employees in Europe, uh, you know, in, in EMEA. Mm -hmm. Why can't we have these conversations there and, 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 um, um, and, and change it up. And so sure. that began the growth of, um, of or expanding the scope um, of the conversations that we have. So it's not just about race. Mm 
right. you know, based here, you know, India, it's, you know, they, they have other things, you know, yeah, the caste system. system. Yes. The yeah. Caste system. caste system, you know, um, in Europe, Middle East, um, mm-hmm. you know, even, um, in Latin America, especially Latin America, you know, it's, it's about the skin tone. It's, right. it's the color of, of your skin tone that, you know, dictates certain stereotypes and, 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 you know, things like that. And so, so, so as we, uh, are moving or have moved to uh you know international laws we we don't take that lightly we we train right because all of our facilitators are trained mm-hmm. facilitators on on the work that we do mm-hmm. but we also have to train on the culture we have to learn the culture um before we put our foot um you know in in those areas so that we um can handle them with care right because these topics are so sensitive they they are so um, gosh, for some people, uh, it, it's close to vest. And so we want to make sure that we're prepared and that we can handle those conversations for those who are non-U.S. based. Exactly. And, that, and that's exciting. Exactly. It's, it's about the comfort level. And, and I love the way you put that. With that being said, can you share a story or two about some of the feedback you've received? Or I mean, it's always rewarding when you, you accomplish things and you bring people together. But I know there's a story or two out there where you're like, wow, I didn't know this was going to happen. And look, look at the results. Yeah. Well, I, I won't get into, you know, some of the, the things that we, we hear and things that we get in feedback. Uh, sure. You know, those pers- yeah, but those yeah. are, man, but, we, but just overall in different organizations, yeah. like let necessary, yeah. like, like maybe law enforcement finding out, wow, I, we are able to better serve our communities now or people Absolutely. in communities like, you know what? I thought that guy was just a cop. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we see that throughout Together We Learn. When we, it's interesting, you know, because when we do Together We Learn and we bring all the officers in the auditorium for the assembly, you know, the kids are like, you know, I don't want to talk to a police officer. Yeah. Or, you know, my dad said this or yeah. my mom didn't want to do. But then once we spend that out, just an hour and a half with them, going through the curriculum with them, getting them uh, in connection with the officers who are talking to them, going outside, doing the simulation, and then they're laughing with the officers and the officers are, you know, uh, you know, laughing back with mm-hmm. them and talking to them and saying, hey, this is what you do. Hey, don't do that. You know, and then when we're done um, and the kids say, wow, and, and some kids call them cops, which is <laughs> <Yeah>. funny, <laughs> you know, and, and some say, you know, officers, but they're like, you know, just what you said, Chris, wow, I didn't, I didn't think I could actually, you know, have a conversation. Yeah, I didn't know they had officers. families too. I didn't know exactly. that, you know, some of them grew up in the streets too and said they want to make a difference. I mean, yeah. you, you, you and, learn and, about people when you listen or you can, you connect with each other. Yeah, when you interact. And interact. some of the kids are like, I'm going to go home and tell, look, I'm going to go home and tell my mom. <laughs> but they're going to tell their parents about you know, what they learned so that they can help their parents. Because this isn't just, this isn't about just kids driving. Mm -hmm. This is about adults. And I tell you the school uh, faculty and staff who sit in on these sessions, they are probably more attentive and get more out of it than than the kids because they're actual drivers. And a lot of times the faculty and staff will come up and they'll pull an officer to the side and it's like, Hey, you know, let me tell you about this or this happened. What should I have done? You know, and so we are educating people. Mm-hmm. And I We're love it. People. I love it. 10 years of Project Unity. ProjectUnity.net is where you can find more information. Is there any last thing you want to share with everybody? We we are all in this together. We are threaded by humanity. And that's what I always say with our dime. We are threaded by humanity. And that alone should help us want to be better. 
Fantastic, Charlene. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for joining us, and thank you all for joining us on Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. So long, everybody. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.